Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Ryan Holiday. He's an author and media columnist for the New York Observer. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Ryan Holiday, author, uh, media columnist for the New York Observer, and his latest book is The Daily Stoic. Welcome, Ryan. Uh, I've been reading your books for, for a while now, uh, learning oh, how, to, how to become more stoic. Yeah, I think, uh, I think stoicism is a, a good topic to connect to, to what we're going to talk about. I mean, um, it's about the, the sort of the passage of time and how man deals with it, uh, both good and bad. So uh, I'm excited. Okay, so why don't you describe uh, some of what you've been writing about uh, specifically? You started out as sort of a media observer. You were a uh, early, yeah. you were early guerrilla PR guy. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I started with marketing, and then I ended up writing about media. So I wrote a book that was sort of looking at the economics of the online media system and the way that affects culture and technology and the sort of the people in between all those things, and then. Um, I wrote a book uh, a few years ago about Stoic philosophy uh, called The Obstacle is the Way. And, and I actually think the two things intersect in a, in a way that, you know, in, in, in ways that people don't necessarily get or see. As it, sort of one is the internal operating system and then the other is the sort of, um, you know, analysis of the outside world. But I, I, tr- I try to write, um, like I, my definition of Stoicism is basically you don't control the world around you. You control how you respond. And so I, I try to write about how we should and could respond to things. So why don't we go back to the, uh, to the media aspect? I remember, yeah. I remember distinctly. So you, you quoted me a lot in the book, and you quoted uh, my book I about blogging. I think I quoted blogging. your book, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was really interesting to read, because I, I was coming at the book from a, uh, not a place of um, naivete, but I was coming from a place of, yeah, this is how things get done. Mm-hmm. And what we all of us in blogging were doing really early on is essentially ruining the world. And you noticed that pretty early. And, and I think that's, that's, that's a credit to you. And I think it's also, it's also been a, a th- hard, hard pill to swallow because I think media as it stands now has been reduced to either something really in depth and uh, well thought out and unread or something that something that pops up on the internet and disappears as quickly as possible and is read by millions of people. So what's what's our what's our way forward in media? Yeah, I, I think what I was trying to say in the book is basically that, and, and and I came of age in this generation too. So it's like there was all this there was all this optimism about sort of citizen journalism about these sort of positive forces that online media was going to bring to the world. It was going to create more participation. It was going to create more accuracy, less bias, less corruption, you know, less fluff. And it was going to create this sort of better world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the internet is the, as the meritocracy where the good stuff comes to the top. And, and I think it was that for a brief period, uh, perhaps, or, or maybe that was naivete. And then, and then what happened is that the economics of that system ultimately won out over the idealism. So 
you know, when you have people who are paid by how many posts they create, they create lots of posts and most of them aren't good. You know, when you, <laughs> when you, when you pay people based on how many views their posts get instead, they create a different kind of post. Um, and, and then I think on top of that, when, 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 when everything is subject to sharing as the sort of main way to get an audience, what you get is a lot of opinion, a lot of um, sort of sensationalism, a lot of sort of provocation. And ultimately, we lit like people think that the information is separate from reality. Well, the, the problem is our reality reacts to the information that we get. So if you get a certain kind of information, then you get a world that responds to that information. It becomes this sort of weird, crazy loop. And so that's sort of what I was being critical of, not because I was, I hated technology, but I love technology and I had sort of such high hopes for it. And I don't necessarily know what the step forward is. I guess when I wrote the book five years ago, I, my thinking was, well, it can't get any worse. <laughs> and, and it's certainly gotten way, way worse. Um, I think what you're starting to see now is sort of a, col a collapse of even the sort of veneer of truth to, to media. And I think that, that, so that sort of final bastion, the, the idea that like, at least media was respectable. At least people had this sort of mm -hmm. trust or, or projected a certain authority to the media that's been sort of blown apart in the last 18 months or so. And so I think we're, I guess the, the optimism, the optimistic case would be things have gotten so bad that things are going to get better. And this is why you're seeing a surge in New York times subscriptions and, you know, uh, things like that. Or, it's it's heading in a direction that we can't even comprehend because what do you do when citizens cannot agree on what reality is or isn't? I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is that we uh, early journalists and I'm, I'm 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 I put all of us in the in the same bucket, but somebody at the Giz, at Gizmodo and Gadget, uh, Jezebel, yeah. Valleywag, all that stuff. We were making hamburgers really really quickly and putting them on trays and slapping them out the window. And mm -hmm. to us, everybody loved them. And, and to us, we, we thought to ourselves, look, everybody likes this stuff. Why should we sit down and make some locally grown uh, parsnips over a, uh, over a, I don't know, a ham, like a lamb steak with a delicious gravy? Why should we do that when we can make 500 burgers a day mm -hmm. and still make a lot of money doing it? And I think, we, I think that that mentality sort of poison the entire well. So nobody is making the, the, the delicious, uh, uh, beautiful cuisine anymore. They're actually just make, just just slinging hamburgers. And at this point, hamburgers have lost their buns and probably their pickle, and they're just like throwing meat out into the, into the thing. And it's very frustrating. And I think, I wonder what the, I wonder if the answer is more New York Times subscriptions, or I wonder if there's a, if there's a artisanal aspect to news that needs to come back out where people can actually appreciate it. I think one of the things that, that journalists think now is that they don't, they try to tell the truth, but nobody appreciates the truth. So they just, they just give up essentially. I, I think, I think that's right. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's been a couple things. So one of the big parts was that um, for people who don't totally understand the history of media, I think they think that media has always been advertising supported, right? So, so it didn't seem like a big shift to go you know, as online media comes and then blogs, it didn't seem like a big shift to be entirely advertising supported. But that's not really true, right? For most of the 20th century, 
advertising advertising was like extra revenue for newspapers mm -hmm. the, the the majority of the revenue came from subscriptions or or at least that was the sort of baseline that covered the sort of costs of the institution mm -hmm. and and was the sort of defining kind of governor on the craziness of the media system even even cable news you're you're not paying you are paying for the news you're giving the money to Comcast who then turns around and gives two dollars a person to CNN and a dollar mm -hmm. a person to Fox News so when online media comes in and it's totally free it's severing the contract between um, between the reader and the creator you know as bad as McDonald's is if people stopped going to McDonald's because they were getting sick you know, and this has been true in Jack in the Box or Chipotle. If people stop going there because they're getting sick, McDonald's has to change because, mm -hmm. like, if we're poisoning our customers, uh, they're going to get upset and they're not going to come anymore. I think the problem with journalism, and and this is, goes back to a much earlier phase in journalism. I think Walter Lippmann talked about this. When you're not entering into a contract with the person who's creating the thing, your incentives aren't aligned anymore, and so you you sort of don't care if what you're making is good for people or what its ultimate effects is, you're, you really are just caring if you can trick them into clicking it. And mm -hmm. I think that's been the sort of pervasive systemic problem of media for the last now going on 10 years. Interesting. So I guess that, that leads back to, I mean, what that leads back to is, is two things. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about stoicism as well, because that's actually a mental model that, that can be used to help control this because what, in the same way that McDonald's is uh, stimulates this whatever the the hypothalamus or whatever the, the yeah. gland in your brain that makes you happy, uh, sliding through Facebook and sliding through Twitter all day long is just a it's like it's like prayer at this point. So you sit mm -hmm. there and you do it um, to pull people out of that out of that mindset is really going to be difficult. And I would I would like to see how that works. But one of my one of my uh, pet projects is to work on some kind of payment system where every click you pay somebody five cents mm -hmm. and you're supporting a journalist you're supporting if if you if you post your book on there uh you click it you click on a chapter and you can read it for five cents and that that helps you and that helps everybody and the in the in, inherent contract there is massively important because i'm saying ryan wrote this cool thing i want to read it and i'm going to pay him for the for the privilege but nobody wants to do that because they see 12,000 posts on BuzzFeed coming up a day where right. you can just slide through on, on Facebook and, and share the outrage with your friends quickly and easily. Yeah. You, you, you know, Amazon has experimented with payments that way for, for sort of what the Kindle Unlimited program, mm -hmm. which, which I think is interesting. And, and look, every time you create an incentive, people are going to um, gain that incentive, right? So you started seeing longer books on Kindle, and then maybe they tweak that, and you start to see someone take that long book and break it up into twenty books. So people are always going to game the incentives. But I, I think you you make a good point about uh, about the sort of prayer aspect. I caught myself on like it was late last night. I went upstairs to check something, and I sat down on my computer, and I I was, and then all of a sudden I'm checking uh, Facebook and and Twitter, and and I'd ask myself, you know, I, I thought to myself in that second, like, how many times have I done this today? And how many times do I do this where I get something of actual value in return? And it's, it's increasingly low, but I'm doing it more. And so I've made decisions over the last few months, like, for instance, just deciding to take Twitter off my phone mm -hmm. has fundamentally changed my relationship with the, 
uh, with the service. It's, it's almost like I'm realizing that, Hey, um, uh, when, when I just had blogs and some of these apps on my desktop, I interacted with them in a much healthier way than when I was also carrying them around in my pocket and I had unlimited access to them as well. So it might be that like, look, McDonald's isn't, the problem with McDonald's is if you eat it every day, if you eat it every once in a while, you'll probably be fine. I wouldn't do it, but you'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's just the, these things are not great, but it's the, it's the mass with which we consume them that has really become the problem. So why don't we talk a little bit about the books? What does the stoic mindset uh, mean to you and how can that help uh, us in this problem? And I mean, I think this is a wide ranging problem. I think, I think junk info is only just the tip of this iceberg. How can we, how can the stoic mindset help us think better? And it might seem strange that like this 2000 year old philosophy would be relevant today, but you know, in, in ancient Rome, gossip is a problem. Misinformation is a problem. Rumors are a problem. Getting caught up in trivialities and other people's business is a problem. So it's, it's sort of the timeless human condition, which is that we only have so much time on this planet. Uh, but it's really easy, both psychologically and biologically, because of who we are, to, get, to waste that time on basically stuff that doesn't matter. And I think you know, a philosophy of temperance and self-discipline and also the sense that um, I, I think at its most core level, it's basically saying like what's, what's in your control versus what's not in your control is actually perfect for today. So like w I think one of the things I want to think about in my news diet is like, am I going to do anything for this with this information? Like, mm -hmm. is this substantively going to change my life or does it have the potential to change my life? And if it doesn't, let's make sure that I'm not like ignoring my wife to read it, you know? And, and I think, I think that's what we, it's like, we end up spending so much time on this stuff that people have made us think is very interesting, but it's, it's, it's fundamentally not practical or relevant. Um, like I was thinking the other day, like how much, how much more news is there than, than there was before? Uh, I don't know, a thousand times more, a million times more. Um, but we still have the same amount of time in a day and we can still only act on the same amount of information. And so it's like they're, it's like they're trying, you know, if 2000 calories is your, you know, your average person's uh, suggested intake. So we have someone trying to convince us actually we should be doing 4,000 calories or 8,000 calories. And so no wonder we're kind of obese. What happens, I mean, what happens when we miss out? I think that's one of the things we, there's, there's the, I, I think the fear of missing out is, is sure. a bit overused, but also if, we, if our only diet, if our only food is McDonald's, how do we get any nutrition at all? Because if we cut it out simply because we won't be able to hear the <laughs> important bit of news that's embedded in between that, I don't know, they used to call Spicer Sphincter back in Connecticut and that a girl with no legs played piano in Romania. Right. Well, I think what happens is nothing, like absolutely nothing, <laughs> right? That's the, uh, like, you know, I haven't watched CNN since November, and uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm any less informed. It's that, um, I, that, you know, first there's this idea that the important news will find you, which I think is partly true, but also... I think we overstate uh, how much, I think we, we underestimate 
information we can pick up from 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 other sources and how little of it actually sort of matters. So, I mean, one of the things that I've thought about is like, okay, I'm let's say I'm I'm spending 20 minutes to read some political article. Mm-hmm. It's talking about what Trump may or may not do. The, let's say so if he does do it, maybe that are there's a 50% chance that that article will have some importance. And if, if, if it's about a may or may not, and there's a 50% chance it's a complete waste of time, right? Because like it could turn out to be nothing. Um, meanwhile, if I pick up a book about, you know, some historical event, which did happen, which has, has happened far enough in the past that a smart author has managed to, do, to create some lessons to learn from that thing, there's a 100% chance that that information will be of utility to me. So I think maybe just making a calculation of like, what am I how is this going to benefit me and trying to take the surest shot, which I, I think tends to be to going towards older information that has stood the test of time will, will increase, you know, to continue this analogy, will increase the nutritional value in your information diet. Okay. I'll buy that. So, we're, so basically what you're saying for the future, we all have to, we all have to stop going up to the, the window at McDonald's and, and sucking down what they have to offer and go around the corner and sit down at a table and actually enjoy a croissant for for a little while and and enjoy life really. Yeah, it's it's being a bit more intentional about what you consume, so you're not just like from a technology perspective. News providers have gotten really have gotten almost as good as the makers of Candy Crush at how to sort of suck you into the system and turn it into a game that you want to win. You know. And and deciding not to do that is a step of empowerment is is the first step in empowerment. I think, you know, actively. I, I'm not saying you should be uninformed. I'm saying you should be informed about the things that matter. But that that also and and also take you know the Stokes are about taking I think the longer, more universal view of things. There's this wonderful essay that or wonderful um, Stoic thing that I talk about uh, from Marcus Aurelius. He he talks about taking Plato's view. You know, he basically means that going sort of up in the sky and looking down at the world and how much smaller all these things that if you were at that level would seem like the most important thing in the world, right? Um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting what the, the, the astronauts have a term for this, which I'm, I'm now forgetting, but um, they're talking about when you see the world from space for the first time, mm-hmm. almost every petty concern you have goes away because you see the planet. It's it, it's interesting to think it was only in the seventies, basically, that we got the sixties and seventies that we could actually get that perspective for the first time. So, in some ways, technology should be helping us get the longer view and and the less sort of immediate short term view. But somehow, it's had the opposite effect. Somehow, we're like you know, Twitter tells us we need to consume what's going on in the world in real time, iteratively as it's developing. Which is probably the worst way to do it. If you and I and a few other potential Stoics sat down and created a news organization, uh, doing exactly that, looking at the long view, looking, taking careful, measured looks at the world, would anybody read it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Certainly, <laughs> c- certainly, certainly, the Stoics, when they've written books, right about. Uh, Various topics have survived for literally thousands of years and and have been read by millions of people. So you know Seneca, one of the famous Stoics, was was arguably the most famous Roman poet of his lifetime. Uh, sorry, playwright. So so I don't think it's somehow um, 
you know, and actually Ambrose Bierce was a famous Stoic. He's one of my favorite writers, and he was a newspaper reporter. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, I don't think they're at all mutually exclusive. I just think that it's going to be less focused on sort of trivialities and instantaneousness, and it's going to be saying, you know, how is this information going to help me live my life? That's that's what philosophy is really designed to do. It's to help us live the the quote unquote good life, rather than you know, how to make more money or how to be smarter than someone else or any of these other things that might feel good but are really pretty empty. Beautiful. Well, Ryan, thank you for joining us on the podcast. This is uh, this has been enlightening. Maybe I'm going to have to – I think I'm going to delete my Facebook. I think that's the answer. I don't think you should delete it because, one, you need it to log in to various other yeah, things. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, taking it off my phone means I check it. 80% less, sure. you know, and don't install messenger because messenger is, uh, like crack. You know what I mean? Like I, the other thing I did is I, I so I turned off almost all the social media accounts from my phone mm-hmm. and then I turned off all push alerts Interesting. Um, other than text messages. So it's like, cause I don't think that's a particularly new technology. So my phone is something I'm in control of rather than something that's like controlling me and let it like, you need to check me now. Yeah, sure. I just buzz. You have to check me now. I don't get much phantom ringing uh, in, in my pocket anymore these days. Interesting. And how long have you been doing this? Um, the the social media stuff has been over the last year or so, and then definitely since the election, I just realized like it, I I never consumed more no- news in my life going up to November, and it was such a great reminder of how little impact that ultimately had. And then I had my first kid the day after the election, mm-hmm. and it was the, sort of the perfect excuse to be like, oh, absolutely. What, are you, what are you doing with your life here? <laughs> you're in a hospital, uh, and you're trying to check some hot take on, on the election. And no, the person that you just brought into the world is not going to forgive you because you had to read this Talking Points memo piece. Ryan, where can people find you online? Uh, RyanHoliday.net, and then uh, if you are on social media, I think I'm just at Ryan Holiday everywhere. All right. Well, don't try to don't try to tweet him in the mornings or in the evenings, I guess, because you won't you won't wake up out of your slumber and pull your phone to your face and stare bleary eyed at it. Exactly. Uh, instead, you'll sit at your desktop. Thanks for joining us on Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week.